what I'm trying to say is Starbucks drinks have that effect on people too. Oh yeah, haven't had my coffee. There was one dude when I worked at Starbucks in Chicago. He would come in every single day, order a tall flat white mm-hmm. and three vanilla bean scones. Okay. He looked like the cross between Hosier. I don't know who that is. John Mayer. I know who that is. And Kevin Love. Don't know who that is. So I thought this whole time that there's like this rich artist dude coming in every day to order the same thing to keep with the habit, to make good music. Like a couple of weeks later. And like he he was so known to the point that when we saw him walking through the like the glass before he even entered, we'd be making the flat white and we'd have the vanilla beans go yeah. in a bag. A couple of weeks later, I'm in a rush somewhere I have to go and I want to grab breakfast. And the easiest thing to do is hop off the train, grab McDonald's at the specific location, hop back on the train. Yeah. Because that was at the time when they had the steak and egg bagel, which is the stagel. One of the be- the stagel, which is one of the best like McDonald's breakfast items they've ever had. So I grab it, and when I do, I'm like, hey, um, it's missing the special sauce on it. She's like, well, hang on. Let me get the manager. And the manager is none other than this interesting-looking dude that I could have sworn was an artist. And no, he runs that McDonald's. Come to find out, that McDonald's is then in the news as the best-run McDonald's in the city of Chicago. Yeah. Because that dude, flat white, three vanilla bean scones, Mm -hmm. every day, 9.07 a.m. I've discovered that the more... The more of a routine that I can have in things that are outside of work, the better I am at work. That makes sense. I think it's, I think for me, it boils down to creativity. If I don't have a routine, I have to be creative about what I'm going to do next. Yeah. If I have a routine, there's no creativity in it. Yep. So I can use all that creativity for a specific thing. It goes to the the Steve Jobs thing. He wore this, he wore New Balances, jeans, and a black turtleneck. He drove a Mercedes Benz, drove the same way to work every day, parked in the same spot because he doesn't need to be creative there. Mm-hmm. You don't need to like, oh, I want to take a new route. So when he got to work, he would just be creative. Granted, he was just creative in stealing things from other people. Yeah, I I don't like Steve Jobs. You're not the only one. I don't like him either. It's just this first story that popped in my head was this dude dressed like Shaggy but made money mm-hmm. like Scooby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like, I like that. Um, it was always weird knowing... N- you'll recognize your regular customers mm-hmm. anywhere on the street, but they don't recognize you because you're out of place. Yeah. You're so, not in uniform. Yeah. And I also... I didn't remember the names of any of the people. I only remember them by their drink order. Jack. So you're a better barista than I am. He Well, I would never make drinks. Ah, okay. I was only POS because of how much better I was at POS than making drinks. Sure, yeah, yeah. If I'm making drinks, we're getting backed up. Uh, Yeah. But if I'm at POS... People are happy. People are happy. I'm having conversations with them. Even if they have to wait, I'll hold a conversation. I don't care. I make jokes. Yeah. Yeah, I was always on POS. So Jack. Jack was his name. So I just knew like, oh, that's Venti Americano. Mm -hmm. Yep, I get that. Venti Americano light water. (laughs) Yeah. So not an Americano, <laughs> just an espresso. In a, uh, espresso on ice. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> but people order it the way they want to order yep. it. Uh-huh. Um, so like a new trend right now with, with cell, cell phone devices is security. I don't mm. know if you've been paying attention to like 
Apple releasing their new update where now you can opt into sharing your data with people. Oh, yeah, the privacy update. Yeah, privacy uh-huh. update with Apple. And then the big announcement for uh, Android 12, which is coming out soon, is that it's more secure than Apple. Uh, I don't know any details about it because Android 12 is still in beta, but essentially their selling point is like, hey, we're more secure in Apple. I don't understand that. Then Facebook's just going to find another way to connect, collect my data. Yeah, you, you, you've you got... They've figured out how to turn privacy into a commodity, right? They're, yeah. they're trying to make that their selling point yeah. um, against somebody who... Uh, against a multi-billion dollar corporation who their only commodity is your information. Yeah. So you're going to have $2 billion corporations fighting out how do we make people more secure versus how do we get more information out of people? Yeah. That's interesting. Part of the reason I don't play my Oculus Quest 2 as much as I would yeah, is it's it's just always in the back of my mind. And man, I love playing VR, but it's always in the back of my mind. I'm giving them, they have cameras looking into my apartment. Uh-huh. They can track so many things based off my eye movement. Yeah, yeah. Like the the there's just it's just a data machine. So what are the what are the what are, what's the information that you don't mind giving away, and what's the information that you feel like you need to keep close to the chest? So I think for me, I don't. My answer to this question is I don't mind giving away any of my information. Then why do you are you weirded out about the VR cameras in your par- apartment? I think for me, it's I want to get paid for it. If you're going to take it, mm. I want I want compensation for it. That's interesting. So it's less about I'm concerned about where my data is going. Honestly, I don't. I, as long as you don't take my money, I'm okay. You can know anything you want about me. My and that's partially because I intend to live a public focused life. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I don't. It doesn't matter. Whatever. I just. I really want to be able to monetize my own data. If if they're getting paid for me browsing, why can't I get paid for me doing the same thing? Yeah. We got to get a platform. Let's make a platform. Yeah, I'm uh, down for that. After, after the episode. Fitter. And it's uh, fitness tracking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, there's a leaderboard. Mm-hmm. I burn the most calories. And you win the, the data pool. Mm-hmm. Everybody's data goes to you for that week. Um, it would be okay. Here's my here's my fitter idea. You just have to be in the top fifty one percent. Everybody has to pay into it. There's a paid subscription, mm-hmm. and if you're in the top fifty one percent, you get half of the subscription. Okay, then we would get the other half. And the, right, yeah. Okay, this is a great idea. Yeah, I'm down for it. Let's do it. I mean, but there's a huge movement of socially conscious companies trying to push towards privacy. I, I don't think that people yet even have the appetite for it because. I mean, I haven't been stolen. I've I've been in, I think, eight or nine data breaches. No, I haven't been stolen. You physically haven't yes, been stolen. So I'm safe online. Yeah, very good. You did it. So you're here hosting the podcast now. Mm-hmm. But how did all this start for you? Do you want the beginning? Yeah, right? Um, I was four in it, a school play. No. Oh, okay. I was just like... I don't believe it. <laughs> you don't believe I was ever four. You're right. I've been I've been twenty nine <laughs> perpetually. Uh, no, I was I was four. It was a school play. What was the school play? Something with bunnies in it. I was. <laughs> okay. uh, I know that one. Yeah, I don't know the name of it. I have a photo of me. I was Doctor Bunny. Of course. Um, and I loved it. 
Like, I loved it. Being in front of people, controlling their minds uh-huh. in real time mm-hmm. feels great. That's a weird way to look at it. It's the way I look at it, man. Um, then my school had talent search every year. Is that what it's called? Uh, star search. Sorry. Star search every year. Not the actual star search. Sure. It was like our school's version of star search. Mm-hmm. So everybody had the opportunity to audition in front of the teachers or submit, like, here's what I intend to do for Star Search. So it'd be a combination of students and teachers doing Star Search. And I have a VHS tape of the first time I've ever done stand-up. I was eight years old. I had oversized cowboy boots, a giant vest on. Um, I wore a big cowboy hat, and I came out with a Johnny Bravo mirror (laughs) because Johnny Bravo was hilarious every time he looked at himself to do his hair. I had a buzz cut, too, so it's like, what's the point? But I walked out and the curtains were closed. I come up from the middle and these, like everything too big for me, uh-huh. like a country person. And I had spent weeks, and I'm telling you weeks, quote unquote, writing my own stand-up material okay. the way that like an eight-year-old knew how. So this wasn't like out of a joke book. It was. It was. It was. It was, but not just one. I had multiple joke books that were given to me. Gotcha. Um, and I would browse through them and I'm trying to tie them together and what's my second best joke because I need to end on that. I need to open with my first best joke and like I I need to do it this way and tie these this way and I think they'd like this and like testing and figuring out well which jokes do I use which ones are my favorite which one they like so I performed like my first ever five minute set at eight years old after like extensive research into figuring out how to put these jokes together and it's on VHS I have an actual video copy of me doing it how often have you watched that I have not watched it in decades because you peaked at eight years old? Absolutely. <laughs> I peaked at eight. But that's where like comedy started for me. And I really liked it. And I didn't have a ton of opportunities to keep doing it because I lived in, in Powhatan. Well, hang on. Well, how did that go? Like, you think... Great. For I mean, for a kid, like, you think you did... I... I look, the room loved it. Mm-hmm. Whether or not I was good at it, the room loved it. Um, And that's a lesson I've held with me is I, I'm not... I don't know if I'll ever be good or great at stand-up. But I know I'm great at figuring out how to read a room and give them a great moment. Yeah. Whether or not it's the best show ever, I don't care. What I care about is this is the best moment right now. Yeah. If it sticks with you longer, then that's like an extra. But really, I just I want whatever you're whatever you're thinking about, whatever you're worried about, that doesn't matter here because what matters here is you're having such a fun time right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean like before I did stand up, I had done dances for star search just cause I wanted to be on stage. So I would dance to the Larry boy theme song with my sister. Yeah. Um, me and my sister did choreography for stomp by Kirk Franklin uh-huh. That's um, awesome. in front, like in front of human beings. Yeah. And these, it was the deep South. So like doing those things, everybody gets the reference anyway. Uh-huh. Um, from there I, didn't really do much stand up because it's hard to get into clubs when you're not 21. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh then in junior high, I think it was 8th grade maybe. My mom was like, "Hey, I found this thing that I think you might like. Let's go. Let's go give it a try." Yeah. I didn't know what it was. Um she drives me to Comedy Sports in Richmond, Virginia. And I audition for their high school league. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not I'm not technically I'm not old enough to be on the high school league, but I audition for it anyway. Um and at the end, the teacher calls off the names that are in. 
and uh, I wasn't on it. <laughs> and she said, uh, just let you all know, that's a joke. All of you are in. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Like It's not a Michael Jordan story where I made uh-huh. it the first time. I'm better than Michael Jordan. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so now I'm a part of the high school league. First, there's eight weeks of classes. And we're taught by people who perform on the main stage at comedy sports. Mm-hmm. And then it's every single Saturday at 4 p.m. Comedy sports is an, it's an, it's an improv troupe. It's an improv company. It's, it's a franchise. Okay. You can see comedy sports in Boston, Chicago, uh, Canada, and places like Richmond. There's comedy sports all over the place, and it's a specific style of improv. It's called comedy sports because they use a lot of sports-themed things. So their mm-hmm. host isn't a host. It's a referee. Oh, okay. Their players aren't players. They are um, or improvisers. They are like team members, and you wear jerseys, and you compete head-to-head, back and forth, yeah. team versus team. Um, and you're a comedy company improv comedy company Imp- what was, what's the word it's it's a theater it's an improv theater your improv theater was in richmond yeah richmond specifically stables mill virginia and how old were you i think i was like 13 or 14 mm. at the time because i remember while i was there i started learning to drive so i would and my mom got a job there as a as wait staff be, because every single saturday if you're part of the high school league you show up at noon, you take a couple hours of like practice, training, learning some new things, and putting together whatever you're going to do at four. Four is the show. We'd never have a lot of people come out. Um, before I went to these auditions, my mom had gone there for my birthday. So she took us there because she heard about this comedy thing and thought I might like it. We went there for my birthday. I brought friends from school. Super fun time. And then I auditioned, got in. Honestly, I didn't really know what it was or how it worked. I just know I enjoyed it. At the end of the eight weeks, you do a show, and I got to invite the people who came to my birthday to come out and see oh, me do it. That's fun. And they put me in every single game that night. Like, every single game. And I can remember... This is the first time I've ever played improv in front of an audience, but I remember it clicking as I'm playing in a way that nothing has ever like really clicked in my head before where I'm just like, Oh my God, I get it. And we played replay um, where you play a scene for a minute and then you replay that scene in different genres after that. Oh yeah. So we had like horror, sci-fi and musical or something like that. And this was like the second or third game of our show. At at that moment, like when I played replay and I it clicked and I figured it out, I then knew that like I can use this and have everyone in the audience right here with me right now mm-hmm. loving it. And this feels amazing. And that game killed. Like people were laughing. My family was like standing up and clapping because it went so well. And then it was every single Saturday noon to five i'm there every saturday i don't miss a single one for two years straight that's crazy and i was in every single show for two years straight yeah other people in the troupe they'd be put in like you get every other show not me i'm in every single show and i used to be put on one team or the other but i think the director realized if i was put on one team it'd be a like even though the points don't matter, then it's it's still like thirty to zero. Yeah, and it's just not fun. And what it does is it makes the audience every time you're not on stage, the audience says, "Ah, 
Exactly. And they checked out before they even start. Exactly. So then they made me the wild card. So then I played for both teams. Mm. Um, they made me a ref. Uh, there was a rule at, at comedy sports as well. The it's a it's a groaner foul where when someone makes a pun and the audience groans, a flag is thrown onto the field. And the game continues as normal. Once the game is done, the person who committed the pun foul has to apologize to the audience for what just happened. Mm-hmm. I made 25 apologies in a row. <laughs> 25 in a row. And just kept them groaning. I kept making pun after pun after pun in my yeah. apology to the point where I kept getting a flag thrown on uh, the field. And I kept having to apologize you turned, in my apology. You turned the apology into a game. Yes. It felt so good. That's uh, fun. Felt so good. We started pushing into like weird improv where we did the frosty challenge where we play a scene. And there was a, a Wendy's like right across the street from the theater. So we start the scene. Someone has to run out of the theater, order a Frosty, come back in and eat it as quickly as they can. And if like they then had to play a scene right after they finished the Frosty with a brain freeze. That's awful. It was so fun, man. It was so fun. It was so fun. Like it was just the weird stuff that we would think we're just kids doing dumb stuff. Yeah. And man, it was it was it was a great time. And but, then but but that's like uh continuation of thing you said earlier is like um when you're when you're that kid and you're up there on the stage and you're going through your frosty scene or whatever that moment the moment that the whole audience is sharing with you that's the only thing in the world that matters exactly exactly and everybody always wants to create something that leaves a legacy and something that lasts long beyond they're gone yeah i think i used to be that way and now i don't care so interesting. It, like my legacy doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. What matters is when I'm given the opportunity that I seize that whole opportunity. Yeah. And I'm not trying to make that opportunity last forever because to me it matters more if that was the only opportunity I had and the only opportunity you had and we both took the full value of it. Mm-hmm. And we can look back and say, oh, that was that mm-hmm. was a really cool time. So I don't care about, oh, I want this thing that lasts for us. Whatever. Things die. Legacies are only as long as the people who live to remember the legacy. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. So it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So the only thing that matters is the moment. If you can get really good at making good moment, then that's it. In my mind. Other people might think differently. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I think I think differently, but I, I really respect that idea that just, just capitalizing on the opportunity, mm-hmm. investing in that keeping your perspective uh focused on what is right now what's right in front of you i think that's i think it's challenging and i think it's admirable thank you and then uh that theater folded oh well speaking of legacies <laughs> it was right it was right after the moment that i'm i'm still high school because i'm not old enough to be on the main team mm-hmm. but they started inviting me to travel with them to where if they go perform at children's museum in richmond they'd bring me along to play with the adults because they're like this kid is he just gets it differently than what we expect yeah so i was and i was just about to start playing on main stage which would have oh my god would have blown every expectation i had out of the water because i would have i would have died and and while i was doing this every week my mom started working there as wait staff in order to make enough money for it to make sense for us to drive out there because we weren't like an affluent we didn't make a ton of money as a family yeah but my parents poured into each of us of like, whatever you want to do, we'll help you do it as best we can. 
So like she got a job working there as waitstaff, which means I got to stay later and I got to watch all the shows. That's awesome. So not only did I get training, I then got to play and practice the training. I then got to watch people better than me play. Dude, I was in heaven. Yeah. Heaven. And I got to sit there and eat like nachos the whole time. Yeah. And just go backstage and chat it up with them all. Like I was living the dream. Uh-huh. Dude, this is a comedy improv theater in Richmond, Virginia. Uh-huh. It's not like a big league Hollywood thing. And I loved it. Yeah. And then it folded. It shut down. So I left. Um, man, I would give anything to be able to perform with Comedy Sports Richmond just like once again. That would be amazing. Um, but I left there. I started doing some improv in high school. Like when Comedy Sports was done, I couldn't perform there. Or there was something. There was like a whole bunch of weird behind the scenes things that happened with the leadership that made it mm. a weird thing that I don't know because I was a kid. Um then I got back into stand-up again. So at this point, since I was in high school, I had my own car. I could sneak into bars and clubs that would allow me to do five minutes. And my high school friends were like, oh, this is so cool. And I can I can remember a time like I worked on a five-minute set. Um, and I was also performing at like high school as well. My drama teacher would put me out for events. And we did like a coffee shop poetry night and i got to do stand-ups like i'm doing like little stand-up here and there and and you're you said you're 15 15 or 16 yeah and at this point your stand-up is don't you hate being late to class yeah so i get on the bus and the moment i get on girls like hey yeah right chocolate lollipops on the bus look at chocolate lollipops it's a big head little body dark skin look chocolate lollipops so stupid like, hey, that's like rude. I hate that you say that. Oh, chocolate lollipops upset. Look at this stupid idiot. Chocolate lollipops upset. Oh, how dumb he is. It's like, hey, can you, can you not? That really hurts my feelings. She's like, oh, chocolate lollipop got his feelings hurt. Chocolate lollipop's a little idiot. Look at him. Look how stupid he is. And I said, look, can you please stop doing that and just focus on driving the bus? <laughs> that's good. Sixteen-year-old jokes. That's um, good though. Yeah. Um. So I'm doing stand-up here and there, and I remember one time I go to a uh, an open mic in in the city for pool. We played with my friends and they all came with me and they're like, we're excited to see none of us can drink. So we're all just kind of sitting at a bar. So they're all like pumped and excited. And I got this whole five minute set ready. And I heard some great jokes that still stick with me today at that open mic. Uh, and I'll, I'll get to those in just a second. Okay. But, but uh, it's my turn. My name's called. I walk up and my brain is blank. And at this point, I was playing improv, but it never crossed over into life. And this is the first time that you walked up to the microphone and... This is after I've known improv, but I still have not... There still is no connection for me yeah. between improv and how to live life. Because there's no writing in improv. But there's a lot of writing in stand-up. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I wrote it. So I get up to the microphone and my brain is blank. And the whole set was, well, I had something, but I forgot it all. Thank you. And I sat down. Richmond's like a 30-minute drive for all of us to get to. Uh-huh. That was my entire set. Uh, what was the reaction? How'd that go? They were like, oh, at least you tried. I said, didn't. I didn't try. Uh-huh. Let's leave. You violated that thing that you feel like is the most important, and that's... The moment. Maximizing. The moment was not maximized, and now I'm like, well, how do I fix that? And it's way later that I realized that improv can be used in life. So I I didn't have a way of fixing it. I just knew I had to be better at something. I didn't know what. So w- when you when you were a kid, 
mm-hmm. and you would hear. I gotta imagine like half of the improv you saw was not appropriate for Absolutely a not. child. Absolutely not. Um, well, comedy sports had a clean show, and then they had a blue show. They referred to it as blue. But when you would when you would see the funny content that wasn't right for little ears, still having little ears, well, mm-hmm. how did that affect you or at all? Did it change you or inform your sense of humor? I had pride. Like, oh, I can be funny as them or funnier without even delving to that. <laughs> like, I don't even have to go into those terrible four-letter words. Yeah, I don't need that crutch. Gross language. Yeah. Now I'm like, bro, that's honesty. I can't. It's honest for some people. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you can tell when it's not. Mm-hmm. You can tell when it's just shock value. But what is more honest than someone using the words they normally use and talking about what they do in their normal life? That's interesting. I think I think the counterpoint would be that there's something to be said about being being disciplined and having a sense of control. You know, trying to approach it from a um, I, I don't I don't know that it's less honest to choose more palatable language. I mean, who defines what's palatable? I think I think that's in the eye of the beholder, right? Mm-hmm. Or or I I think actually. It's it's in the eyes of the person who is actually speaking. Mm-hmm. I I think it's interesting that people equate discipline with with this topic as well. I don't think it's a discipline thing. Is that is that something people say? Yeah, I mean, it's like you should be able to be more disciplined and not use these words and not use these. Like you don't have to talk about those graphic things. Mm. It's like well, it's it's only graphic because you view it as graphic. I just am not one for censorship. Even if you're censoring yourself. Even if I'm censoring myself. Hmm. I then ask myself, why why am I censoring that? What do I not want people to know about me? Mm-hmm. For me, it's back to honesty because honesty serves that moment. It kind of loosely ties back into our conversation about privacy. Mm-hmm. Because I, I look at, I take a lot of opportunities to censor myself. And I look at that as the my private thoughts or my private moments, I don't want to give that to somebody else mm-hmm. and I want to I want to retain control over who has knowledge of those things I say or those thoughts I have or those things I do um, and in certain certain cases like I want to keep that just to just to me I want to be the only person who knows about that or I only want my friends to know about that mm-hmm. so I'm doing stand up here and there figuring out where I want to go to college and interestingly enough one of my first choices for college was Second City in Chicago. Really? I'm not kidding. Wait, Second City has a college? Nope. I was not going to go to a traditional college. I see. I was going to go to this comedy school I found. Uh-huh. So I had a decision between there and this small little college in uh, Florida for film called Southeastern University. Because like, I'm doing all these comedy things, but I'm also like, I had my mom's camera since I was like four. Or five. She used to work for CBS Film. She's an Emmy-nominated television director, daytime really? TV director. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like, I've I, she had a camera she brought back that recorded the VHS. So I would take VHS tapes and record my own home movies and stuff like that. And I would end up buying my own camera. It's like I I also like creating videos and film. So instead of choosing to go to Second City, at the age of eighteen, which would have been like, that probably would have been the thing that put me on the map in my head. Yeah. Like, I would have been able to get there young, learn a whole bunch of stuff, get these opportunities after, like, if I'm there a decade, I'm still only 28, and 
now I've got all these opportunities I've worked for and gotten into. Um, but I chose Southeastern, and that's why Lakeland. Do you feel like there's added pressure from Janice being Emmy Award winning? No, because she doesn't care. She, but but do you care? She didn't even go to the Emmys. Even if my mom was disappointed in anything, okay, that's your choice. I'm not disappointed. Mm. There was a time where I was, um, but not now, not anymore. Um, so I moved to Southeastern because they had two things I wanted, the ability to create films right when we get there, yeah. and an improv team. The improv team was trash. So. <laughs> okay. Straight hot, burning fire trash. Okay. Um, what makes a bad improv team bad? There's many reasons for it to go bad. Many reasons. One of the key ones, in my opinion, because improv is improv is like a language, so everybody has their own way of speaking it and doing it. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, it's team chemistry. There are roles to be played in an improv team. That's interesting. Because from, from the audience's perspective, improv feels like there's no rules at all. Yeah, that's what we want it to look it like. It feels like anything goes. Yeah, we want it to look like that. But there are roles, there are positions, there are things that you do to better serve whatever's happening. Mm. And I think that's also built outside of the team. And I know the team, there were people on the team who didn't really enjoy each other. They were just a part of it or they tolerate each other or like they're on it because they've been here since the beginning type thing, you know? So when I got there, it was at a cool time where the people who had been there since the beginning are gone. And now it's being led by the people who are like, ah, we would really like to do something good with this. So I heard there were auditions first semester. And uh, I had a buddy of mine who lived down the hall who struck me as like somewhat funny, some funny dude. I was like, hey, come do these auditions with me. Yeah. He's like, what is it? I was like, have you ever watched Who's Line? He's like, I love Who's Line. I've seen like every episode of Who's Line. I'm like, come with me. Let's do these auditions. And it's like in a week. He's like, cool, I'll do it. So the auditions are about to happen. I'm leaving my room and I see that he's on his computer just playing games. Like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just playing games. Like, bro, we have auditions right now. It's like, what are you talking about? Get off the computer and come with me and audition. So the two of us go on audition, and we end up being put in a lot of scenes together, and we we did very well. That's great. We did very, very, very well in that audition room. Because you brought good chemistry. To the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Granted, we didn't really know each other that well, mm-hmm. but we brought very good chemistry. We, we worked together. We trusted each other. I knew leaving that room that I was on the team. Yeah. They didn't tell me, but I knew when I left that room that I had a spot, he had a spot. And I think there was like one other that would have got it. I was like, I know I have it. You seem like the kind of person who knew that you had a spot before you auditioned. Yes. I knew I would be playing on this team before I auditioned because, and not in some prideful or haughty way, I knew I was better than all of them. Well, you'd been doing it for... At this point, we're at year four or five of me doing it. Yeah. Because I think it started around 13, five, four or five. Yeah. So yeah, I've been doing it for a while. Been going. I've been going. Um, so now I'm uh, I'm on the team, and the older people transition out, and now I'm running the team. Mm-hmm. So now not only do I get to play this, and and when we were on the team, we helped them grow. From they would do studio shows and cafe shows. So what, there would be shows that we would record in the studio, and there'd be shows that we would do in the cafe, where anybody could come out to the cafe. It was free. The studio yeah. was also free, but the studio was limited seating. Because we had to record. We grew it from like, we'd get 20 people in the studio, 25 maybe. And you'd get like 10 to 15 in the cafe. Uh, To now there's only standing room in the cafe. Mm. Every single seat is taken. Yeah. 
and it's hard to hear in the back, but you're still there and you're leaning in to listen because you want to know what's about to happen. Yeah. And the room was filled with laughter. Um, I have videos of those performances. Uh, a video of the, the, like the first performance that kind of solidified in the mind of the audience that like he knows what he's doing. Yeah. That is such a fun one. It's called Unicorns Stole Our Freedom. Okay. Um, and then we did the studio shows and we, we just grew and grew. And then it, it was handed over to me and the guy that auditioned with me. Yeah. And I was only at Southeastern for three years because I didn't want to be there long. And film is easy. So I took like 22 to 24 credit semesters just to get out quick. Because um, college just wasn't for me. I probably shouldn't have gone to college, but I did. I should have chose Southeast, or Second City, in my opinion. But I chose Southeastern. I got a lot of cool friends from it. But now we're doing, uh, now it's me and him running it. So his whole thing is, I want to market the show. My whole thing is, I want to make it the best show that we've ever, like, I want to make it the best team we can ever make it. So now we're putting on people on the team and focusing on rehearsing and practicing on a regular basis and rehearsals and practices for improv. Uh, if you thought in your head while listening to this, oh, they rehearse for improv, they got to write it, you can just go punch yourself in the throat. It is solely for the team to grow their chemistry together. So in my opinion, the best rehearsals for improv are after a show when you go grab drinks together. Interesting. I I don't believe you need to warm up for improv. I don't believe in any of that. I think you are you are a far better player if you just hit the stage. Interesting. Uh, bring everything with you and throw it all up there. That's exactly what you did at our event. We all got there at like 3 o'clock. We, we all got there way early, and you showed up right about 15 minutes before we started mm -hmm. and then just sat down and went to work. That's all you need. Yeah. Granted, it w it's also years of me getting comfortable with it to believe this way. But I, I truly believe hanging out is the best way. So like we would, after shows, we would all go to Applebee's mm -hmm. and joke around and we would have parties at friends' houses and somebody would start playing piano and we'd make up songs together. And the best practice is just getting to know the other people because when you're on the improv stage, it's like you're going to war. Yeah. Because you have no idea and you have no idea who you're fighting against because it could be the audience or it could just be the scenes themselves. Like there's always something that's going to go wrong. So you need to know each other and trust each other. So when it goes wrong, you can get yourself out of it. So now this team has grown to the point where once a semester we have one big show and we get 400 to 500 people in the main chapel to come see us with yeah. wireless mics and we pack it out. It was great. Oh, I loved it. felt good to do that. And it was kind of the training ground and the precursor to what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. um, and then I left Southeastern and then I went and I started my own video production. We call that graduating. Regular people say, <laughs> oh, I yeah, graduated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I left Southeastern, went to LA. <laughs> um, I worked for CBS Films for a little bit. I wasn't really feeling it. I love film, but I don't like the politics of film enough to be in it. So I left LA, went back to Virginia, started my own video production company, made a couple commercials, was okay with it, got a job with Victory Church in video production. All this time, I'm like auditioning wherever I am to try to join a team and play with somebody. And You're trying to get back to comedy I'm sports. I'm trying to get back to comedy sports. I want it so bad. So when I moved down here, uh, things got weird. I ended up moving in with you because mm -hmm. the house I was living in fell apart. 
And then with you, I would like I'd randomly get like, hey, I have this show for this church in the middle of nowhere. Or I'm like meeting people who are like, you do improv? I'm like, yeah, well, blah, blah, blah. So like I get like one show every couple of months, two shows, something here and there. And I'd, I'd band together the people from college that I remember. And I roped you into it because you used to play way back in the day with the the legacy Lakeland team. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, who shall not be named. Um, <laughs> piecing it together as best I can. I then quit that. I, weird jobs. I'm just in. I'm in a holding pattern. Yeah. I'm just. I'm flying in circles, trying to figure out where to land. And I teach improv to a middle school group at Rochelle School of the Arts, and they go on to win every award you can win for improv because I know what I'm doing. Is that a lot of w- awards? I don't know. It's like an acting competition, thespian thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They did great though. Uh, those kids. I still run across them every now and then. I'm. They're just amazing. Amazing. But I taught them and then I was like, you know what? I I've not just done the thing. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm just gonna go to Chicago like I wanted to eight years ago, four years ago, however long it was. It's like I'm just gonna go I turned twenty five in Chicago alone. I remember that. So it's twenty four. And I was like, I'm just gonna go to Chicago and do it. And I know everybody around me was like, Yeah, sure you will. Because you knew me at this time. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't have anything. Nothing stuck for me. I was kind of just wherever the wind blew. I got. I'm trying everything, but I'm not completing anything. I'm not yeah. finishing. I'm not following it to the end. I'm just starting, 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 starting. And it's like the key. Just I. I flooded my engine essentially. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just gonna go do the thing. And I went home for a couple of months. Worked for my dad. Saved up a little bit of money. Was not paying my bills on time, and the only bill I had was my car note. Uh-huh. So I saved up two grand. I was a victim of a uh, scam. Oh, was this the... Uh... I'm going to go record a documentary in Idaho. Yeah. Yeah, they scammed me out of most of the money I'd saved. They caused my bank account to go negative 500 in balance. So I got enough money to put it back up to zero. Yeah. I had to, I had to pay to put it to zero after uh-huh. losing like two grand. Right. Yeah. And then I was like, well... Here's what I'll, I'll make a promise myself because I'm out of money. I will, since I know that the bank will allow me to go negative 500 without any repercussions, and I have 30 days to pay it back, I'm going to go audition at Second City for their conservatory program. The highest thing you can do. I'm going to try to skip all the other classes that I don't want to do and just go straight for the top. And if I don't get it, then that's a, a, then I'll try again in two months. If I don't get it then, then I'll just figure something else out. Yeah. So I drive up in July. I don't know anyone there. I literally take the 500 that they allow me to withdraw past zero out of my bank account. And I think actually I took like 475 because I was like, I, at least I have 25. <laughs> I don't have to pay back. I drive up there. A friend of mine from down here in Florida, I was good friends with someone who was doing stuff at Second City at the time in Chicago and was like, hey, you can sleep on her couch for two days. So I've, I had two nights. The night, the night I would get there, I would audition, and the second night to then drive home. So I, I don't know anything about I've never been to Chicago. All I know is the stories you hear about yeah. it. Uh, uh, Chelsea Toby was her name. Really amazing. Uh, I got to sleep on her couch. I was terrified. I, I was absolutely terrified. I do this audition. I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was maybe 10 minutes, uh-huh. the whole thing. I go hang out at the Chicago Zoo because it's free. Um, I then get the email from Second City saying you're in. Yeah. But I just lost all the money I was saving in hopes that I would get in. Oh, yeah. So my choice is do I 
now that I know I can get in, I audition again, take a couple months to save up money and go, or do I just go? And I think my dad said to me, Nate, you have an option at this point in your life. You can either be broke and sad here in Virginia, or you can be broke and sad chasing your dreams in Chicago. Yeah. You saw an opportunity. I and did. you were going to... And I'm like, you know, I only have one chance to take most of these things. Yeah. So I drove my car. I s- probably have 30 bucks. I So I get there. I had basically to the end of that week. Yeah. Within that week, I had four jobs in an apartment. But now I'm living in Chicago with four jobs. Starbucks, yeah. catering service. I was a developer for a an online uh, children's class, a uh, website called Class Crasher. That's honestly, I convinced her to give me an advance to get into the apartment. <laughs> that, And then I also worked for an escape room, helping them build an escape room that I was going to end up working at as well. My apartment was $1,200 a month. And it, this room we're in to record this podcast is the size of my apartment. This room is, what if you tape two shoeboxes together? And, and imagine half of it being a kitchen. Yeah. yeah. It was rough, man. Overwatch really got me through because I didn't yeah. have friends. I had no, I had nobody. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anything in the city. And I didn't have money to be adventurous either. I didn't have money to be like, I'm going to go check out a restaurant, yeah. or check out a bar, or go here and meet people. I can't do that. I'm broke. And I'm working almost 24-7. And when I'm not working, I'm at Second City taking classes. Yeah. So I, I take these classes. And Chicago was three years of my life. And I could talk forever about Chicago. It was one of my favorite experiences ever. It taught me a lot about finishing the things you start setting your sight on goals and going for them. Like I was the most dedicated I've ever been in anything at that time. But one of the things that has stuck with me the most is I took five levels, five different classes and you had to re-audition for the third class, uh, which was a way of weeding out people to like really make it as good as possible. Yeah. Every single teacher, when there would be notes or there'd be a chance for them to like get me to the side and chat with me about how I've been playing the first thing that they would say is, why are you here? And I always in that moment took it as like a, what's your motivation? What's your purpose behind being here? And they always meant it as like a, you don't belong here. You've already got it. Go. Oh. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? You don't, this isn't for you. This is where we teach people to catch that spark. Exactly. Like we, This is where we get people to get to where you are. What are you doing here? And I didn't know that my classmates also viewed it that way, where yeah. they were like, why is this kid in? Like, what is he doing? Is he just having fun or something? They, and I, I was intimidated by them because I'm thinking, oh, they're so great. Little did I find they're out. They're Chicago comedians. Yeah, they're, they've been doing this. Little mm-hmm. little find out we all were that way. So in level three, everybody opened up. And they're like, I'm intimidated by all of you. And that's when we became such an amazing team of people. We were there to learn how to write sketches, use improv to make sketches. Yeah. They've become some great friends of mine. I don't communicate with them as much as I want to. But that season, I finally had people. Like I had a community. I had a yeah. tribe. And it was great, man. It was great. Um. Moved you away from the solo, everything's writing on you yeah. perspective of, mm-hmm. uh, of doing stand-up. Yeah. It's and now team. there's a team. It's a team of people. I don't have to be the only one carrying everything. These yeah. other people have ideas that they bring to the table. They have motivations. They're all actively trying to find places to perform for me. I'm actively trying to find places to perform for them because I'm not going to do it alone. I'm going to mm-hmm. invite them with me. They're going to invite me with them. We like 
the rising tide will raise all of our ships together. It was yeah. a really fun, collaborative, like imaginative time. Um, but seven months into living in Chicago, uh, I get a phone call from the teacher of the students that I taught mm -hmm. improv. She's like, hey, we want to do a fundraiser, but we don't have money. Do you mind flying down and putting on an improv show with the kids you taught? Like you playing with them to raise money. It's like, heck yeah, I'll do it. I had just done a commercial by accident for Starbucks. So I had money. So flying down, I bought a ticket. What? I had just done a commercial by accident. Yeah. I have a habit of getting commercials on accident. This one was, I was working at Starbucks for three weeks. And then I got an email from someone who had come into the store. Or no, from the manager who was like, I think you'd be, my manager was like, I think you'd be a great fit for this. Email them. Um, they're looking for people for their commercial for their holiday promotion. I was like, cool. So I emailed and they did an interview and I got a $25 gift card. And then they're like, oh, actually, we want to use you. So I showed up to set, did 10 seconds, 15 seconds of work making coffee drinks, which that, the most stressful part was making coffee drinks because <laughs> I, I didn't know at that time. I was only a couple of weeks into Starbucks. So yeah. they were like, what's your favorite drink? And I was like, flat white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like a flat white, three vanilla scones every morning. That's my routine. <laughs> yes. Yes. They're like, cool, we have a Christmas flat white. I was like, in my head, I was like, I know you have a Christmas flat white, and it's the easiest thing to make, so I'm going to go with that one. So I'm yeah. here, here I am making flat whites, explaining about Christmas, and I'm just, honestly, at this point, I'm just making stuff up. And it's a six-second commercial, and it's like, Christmas is like an equation or something, where this plus this equals this, and you have a good time. I didn't think it would use it, but if they chose to use my stuff, I would get a big payout. I got like four grand for that commercial that aired during Jimmy Fallon, which... I was on Jimmy Fallon. You were on Fallon. I was on yeah. Jimmy Fallon. Uh -huh. um, and some other talk show at night. So I got paid that much, which I then quit Starbucks because I didn't want to work there anymore. Uh, I used the Starbucks commercial to leave Starbucks. Um, so I had this money. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'll fly down. Then I made a phone call to a local venue that I now run. Uh, and I was like, hey, I, I'm not looking for any. I, you can keep all the money. I don't want any of the money. Do you mind if we just put up an improv show at your space? He's like, yeah, go for it. So now I had two shows, one weekend in Lakeland, Florida, and I'd been in Chicago for seven months. So a lot of the people that I come to see, I haven't seen in a while. So I'm just reaching to all, all the people I know that still live in Central Florida to hop on stage and play with us. It's just, it's, it's, it's a ragtag group of dudes. Uh -huh. None of us know what we're doing. Yeah. No, no ladies whatsoever. Not a single female was I mm -hmm. able to acquire to play with us on that stage. So it was just, it was just testosterone to the max. I believe we sold 145 tickets. That was all fools night. It was all fools night. Yeah, it was all fools night. The night before, I had done um, the show with the middle schoolers, and to this day, there are people who are in that audience where, when they see me, they'll sing "I Love My Dishwasher" because that was one of the songs that we made up that night. <laughs> right on. Um, all fools night worked. the The dude who was running the venue was like, "Hey, do you mind doing another one?" And I was like, "Why don't we just make it monthly?" At this point now, I'm flying in to Lakeland every month, and we formed a team. We decided to call ourselves Swan City Improv. Sean McKenney is the one who said we should call it Swan, mm -hmm. Swan City yeah, Improv. I remember that conversation. Um, I, we called it Swan City Improv. I then got us a logo so we could become official. Um, Sandy? Sandy the Swan. I called mm -hmm. the artist. I talked to him on the phone. Really cool dude. He gave me permission for a year use of it. I think I paid him 250 bucks. Uh, and then we just, every month we would play. And it, when we started, we, we got 10, 15 people out. That's it. The first show was blow the doors off big. Yeah. Then every show after that was small. And then we decided what can we do to better position ourselves? And at this time, the, the venue didn't have anything on first Friday nights. 
So we moved, we negotiated to move to First Friday, negotiated percentages, and it was you, me, and uh, our buddy who were working together, and each of us had different goals of where we wanted to go. Mine was I just want the best improv possible. I just yeah. want to play. Yours was I want to see it grow to the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. No, mine was I want, I want money at the time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mine was I want money. Yours was I want the biggest thing. His was I want the best thing, like the, the yeah. best oiled show, best machine. Yeah. That was a good dynamic. Um, great dynamic. It was the best dynamic for starting out something with no money uh-huh. and with also no risk and all the opportunity in the world of where we could go. Yep. And you would pour yourself into figuring out how to make it work financially. Mm-hmm. I'd pour myself into figuring out how it could be the the biggest the biggest mm-hmm. the the biggest event that we could make it. Yep. And and our buddy would focus on making everything that we came up with to be the very best that it could be. Yeah. We started April of 2017. By December of 2017, we had two shows with about 100 people showing up in each show to watch us. I've never sat down to think about that, but that's how it went. I was talking with a guy here recently, and he was telling me it takes five years for any new thing that you're working on to, like, plant roots and and get started and and actually, like, make it. And you did that in pretty much seven, eight months. Well, I piggybacked. How do you mean? I didn't, so I didn't grow anything crazy. I did, it was literally just a once a month show Mm -hmm. in a venue that we didn't pay for Mm -hmm. with people that I didn't pay. Mm -hmm. And it was all of us just having fun. It wasn't a business. It, It wasn't. Heading into year five. Which will be next April for Swan City Improv. Is that true? Yeah. Year five. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh huh. Everything that you just said is going to be true. Hmm. And it's been, for us, it's been because we've had to be patient. We haven't, we, we don't have the option of not being patient. We've outgrown where we are. So we have to find a better place for us type yeah. thing. Um, but really that that Swan City Improv slowly became bigger than anything I was doing in Chicago. Not that any not that I wasn't doing anything. I was doing some great things in Chicago, yeah. but the way I thought about it was I'm one in a million there. I'm one in 10 here. That's interesting. Yeah. So uh, there's plenty of opportunities for people in Chicago and now there's not as many, but my thought was I could fight to be the biggest fish here. And if I became the biggest fish in Chicago, I'm the biggest fish. Like, that's yeah. great. Or I can be the biggest fish in Lakeland. And instead of trying to find a new pond, why don't I just expand the pond yeah. beyond Lakeland? Create something uh, bigger. Huge, yeah. Yeah, like a, a franchise or whatever. Who knows what the future holds. So I moved from Chicago after being there for about three years. Um, back down here to manage Swan City Improv full-time every month. Worked for Liberty Tax as a manager. And then had the idea to start my own food tour company. And I did that in March of 2019. That started making me enough money where I only did food tours in Swan City Improv. And that paid for my life. And you accidentally did another commercial. I did during the pandemic because I, I then took on running... Uh, Lakeland Live, which was the venue that gave Swan City Improv the opportunity. Uh, And that wasn't, that can't, that has never, nor will it ever be able to pay me what I need to live 
and I'm still just pouring in everything that I should be pouring into Swan City Improv and Legal Food Source. Yeah, but I want to go back to this accidental commercial. Yeah, yeah, okay. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how... I, I've never met anyone who was like, whoops, I just, I just landed a commercial on Jimmy Fallon, or I just landed a commercial for Microsoft that played during the Super Bowl. Not just this. It's during every single major sporting event that happened in the fall during the pandemic. Baseball, hockey, basketball, all of them, and every single commercial break it was on it. I don't know. I don't know how you accidentally did that. And that goes to uh, 16 or 17 year old me not knowing how to never be in that position again where I'm not prepared. I see. Where when I moved to Chicago, a click happened. Another one that I had at comedy sports where it clicked for me that this is the thing i do yeah it clicked for me that all of my life is an improv scene i i guess i guess if you think about it right yeah life's just a series of moments it's what you do with each moment Mm -hmm. it clicked in my head to realize if i'm i know i'm good at playing improv Mm -hmm. and i'm i'm terrible at my life because I'm still running my life the way I did before I knew how to play improv. Yeah. I'm not applying all this improv stuff I've learned to my life. So those opportunities that come across my table that happen out of nowhere, I genuinely believe are because I'm playing my scene right. Interesting. This is now one of my favorite episodes. Because <laughs> you didn't have to talk the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Hey, you know what? This is probably also going to be the top rated uh, episode because all people give us feedback on is how funny you are. This was, I was the least funny in this episode. Yeah, take that. I was the funny one. You were. This was, <laughs> you absolutely were. And I really hope the bubble wrap joke makes it. It's not. It is not going to make it. God, it's so good, though. <laughs> it's not going to make it. I do like that. Though. It's so good. It was a big dude. Uh, you've been listening to the Citadel podcast? Yes, you have. I really got to make that Patreon. I was supposed to make it a week or two ago. See the Patreon, they'll get the whole. Yeah, they'll get the. They'll get, they'll the, get that one. That's a great joke. That's a great joke. I'm telling you, man. It's it's still with me. <laughs> um, hey Nate, yeah. we got access back to our our Twitter account. We did. Twitter stopped flagging us for <laughs> asking Janice if she <laughs> used multi-factor. Stopped us from harassing my mother. <laughs> <laughs> so you can actually tweet us now at Citadel Podcast. We can answer all your questions, cybersecurity or comedy related, because it seems like this uh, this podcast is heading in, in whatever direction <laughs> that it wants. We're saying yes to the moment. We're just doing it. Whatever happens, <laughs> we're taking it. Um, I think we should do a live show at some point. We should find some big topic to talk about, and we should do a live show. Yeah. Uh, you want to inform that talk- topic, tweet us. Yeah. If you want us to talk about something specifically in our live show, which will probably come in the next two months at some point. Um, I'll, I'll probably get to working on figuring out where we're going to do it. And, uh, that'd be super fun to do a live podcast. Yeah. Right on. Um, yeah. Tweet us at Citadel podcast, or if you're looking to secure your small business because the attacks are on the rise, I'm doing my best to give them people to fight against. I'm hiring hackers left and right. Your Uh business could be next. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you you can head to (laughs) www.citadel.com. It's S I T T A D E L. Which I shouldn't have to spell because you are listening to this podcast. That's so, true. Like, Let's make a rule to never spell it again. Deal. Never spell it on this podcast again. <laughs> you should, you're listening to us. Just look <laughs> at your phone. They're going to go to citadel.com and just be confused about <laughs> a college. Yes, exactly. Uh, head I there. guess I have to enroll to secure my business. 
I think I'm going to become a comedy man. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'll do it this time. Okay. Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba. Hey!